into this one today i just want to mention i think it's the best place for this episode really uh, right at the beginning uh, we've got a patreon page here uh, there's four episodes per month completely new content of course this helps the podcast out and you can find it at patreon.com forward slash a year in horror but yeah i want to just say that there rather than do this big thing about it in the middle because i think this this episode takes a, a more serious tone so yeah let's get into it Summer 2020 and the world has fallen to crap. And I sort of love being locked away at home, being left to myself, being away from people. At this point in my life, I just had the idea of doing the podcast and I've been watching a ton of movies, rating and ranking them and everything in preparation for for what you're listening to now. And I was super keen on just keeping an eye out for anything new that appealed to me. I was watching everything with a different eye view. Movies now had a completely different endgame for me. And I loved it. And then this newfound footage movie appeared and it was called Host. As the credits rolled, I was so taken with it that I called Claire down from whatever she was doing upstairs. And I just said, we've got to watch this again. So that night, we watched it again. It was a magical experience. A fresh idea, a new take on horror. I was all over it. And I made sure that one of the writers, Jed Shepard, he was going to be my very first interview when the first episode of the podcast was released. And he was. As for the director, Rob Savage, well, yeah, he blew me away with this debut feature length. Host was just everything that I wanted it to possibly be. And it matched it. I could not wait for the follow-up. And then, due to its success, the team had been picked up by Blumhouse. And the next film, called Dashcam, well, it was doing the festival rounds in 2021, but it got its official release streaming. And in a few minutes, I'm going to be talking to its star about her experience on the film. To say that I was impressed with it, though, well, that would be a complete understatement. But before we get there... To close Savage's three films to date, after Dashcam, he was then courted, I guess, by 20th Century Studios to work on their latest Stephen King adaptation called The Boogeyman or The Bogeyman. For what it's worth, I don't think that it is like a patch on either of his previous efforts. Maybe that's to do with the team uh, with Jed Shepard amongst them not following on to this one. Maybe that's a part of it. I don't know. Maybe it is. It's just a guess. There are certainly flashes of brilliance here and there. Some of the shot choices and the cinematography are outstanding. But overall, to me, it's a less than average film. It's a glossy piece of commercial and sort of heartless horror trash just made for cash. And that's it. For me, it's the sort of same thing as The Conjuring 3, The Devil Made Me Do It. There is an audience out there that I know will love it. It's just not me. And you know what? Maybe Savage actually saved that film from being pure dumpster fire like the Firestarter remake was. Maybe it took someone with his skill set to get the maximum out of a shoddy script and and that's why they went to him. But regardless, I'm definitely still game for whatever he brings to us next. And the reason being is, well, he followed up a film that I truly adored in Host with another essential found footage horror movie called Dashcam. And Dashcam was just nothing like what had gone before it. The reports coming in were that it was going to be this controversial and ridiculously scary film. And I think those reports were spawn. Uh, And upon its UK release, View Cinemas actually banned it from their screens. And they gave us the the following message that I read on Twitter and I screen grabbed it at the time. Uh, It said, thank you for your question in regards to Dashcam. I have received feedback from our staffing screen and they've decided that we won't be showing Dashcam at any of our venues due to the contents of the movie, which may offend our audiences. We at View believe in diversity and any movie which may offend audiences, we may decide to no longer show at the last second without notice. 
I'm sorry this is not the outcome you were looking for. Regards, Julie. So yeah, Julie, you legend. Thanks for that. Of course, I had to hunt this thing out instantly. And whilst I didn't get that same high as I did from host, I was absolutely, positively still blown away by it. And of course, watching it, I noticed this actor, Annie Hardy, that was the cause of this controversy. And as it started, I thought to myself, hang on, is that the same Annie Hardy that I saw a few years back at like Reading Festival or something? Is that the Annie Hardy that's in the band Giant Drag? Of course it was. And since its release, yeah, I've watched it several times. I think I love it every time, just that little bit more. So, Annie Hardy. Like most metalheads, they will know her from the Deftones collaborations she did on their track called Pink Cell Phone. Uh, way back when, that was on the Saturday Night Wrist album. Um, indie rock and sort of grungy folk though, well, we will know her from her band Giant Drag. Who, in the mid-noughties, caused a slight musical shift with their sort of slackery, grungy album called Hearts and Unicorns. In fact, I remember, I think it was NME uh, that put her in like the Hot 50 list or something like that. Like the coolest people in the world type list. My thoughts on them were that I looked at one of the song titles called You Fuck Like My Dad and I just thought, mm, I don't know if this is going to be for me. So I just didn't give them a listen. Wherever I was at that point in my life, I just didn't want to know about how a song like that is going to go. <laughs> then, probably about a year after it came out, I saw them play live at Reading Festival and I had such a great time with it that I went out straight away when we got home and I bought the album. And of course, I loved it. It reminded me a little bit of this band called Helium that I really missed. But it had its own laid back, heavy, sweaty, slacker feel. It was pretty unique. And I don't know, must have listened to it probably a hundred times or so since. Anyway, that was my introduction to Annie Hardy. She is the guitarist and the vocalist in that band. So let's flash forward, shall we? Now, I've not seen it yet, but Annie also starred in a Spike Jones like 30-minute short called I'm Here. But yeah, as I mentioned, going into Dashcam, I didn't realise it was Annie Hardy until my, oh, wow, that's Annie Hardy moment. Then, after I got over that, there was the holy shit moment when I saw that I used to live above the cafe that Annie goes nuts in in the film. I've bought a pizza from the shop where she picks up that possessed poo-poo woman. Uh, I've also worked that very ride in the fairground where Annie ends up taking a quick breather. Uh, this was filmed in my town. I knew nothing about it. But what does become very clear, maybe after the 15-minute mark, without Annie Hardy in this, there's no dash cam. Let me put it out there. That is a fact. This film falls apart and sucks because she's in it. And this film is absolutely incredible because she's in it. That's the general take on the thing. There ain't much middle ground. And of course, I fall on the way more positive side of this thing. Now, what I found super fascinating about this film in particular was the aftermath, which was just insane. Whilst there were plenty of positives about it on the socials, the negatives are what really hit hard. But just as the reviews were coming in, I listened to this podcast. Uh, I think it might have been the Empire Film Podcast, actually. Not 100%. I haven't listened to it for a little while now. But it was a press junket thing. And Annie mentioned that she was treated a little bit shittily in one of the scenes. And it was sort of laughed off from the others, which included Rob uh, on the chat. And then she went like, no, I'm serious. And I'm paraphrasing here, I can't remember exactly. And it was just all sort of glossed over and the conversation moved on. And I thought to myself, wow. And as I say, that's a vague memory of this conversation. But it really opened up my eyes to this, ah, not everything was rosy on this set. The cheek of that interview really stood out for me, that little section. Anyway, I sort of get it though. Annie is an extreme character and she, of course, is not as extreme as that exaggerated presentation version of herself in Dashcam, but she can be a lot. She makes people nervous because she says exactly what she thinks and her mindset is not the same as the general person out there. Let's say that. She is not a corporate game player for sure. She's well into Jesus as well, which freaks people out. And for this reason alone, even though I had this podcast and I really did want to talk to her about just that interview, I just didn't end up interviewing her. I didn't even reach out. I didn't want to do it because of the same reason that I didn't want to interview Marquis e. Smith. One of the biggest regrets 
ever in my life that I didn't get back to my email and say, yeah, I'll take that Marquis Smith interview. These characters are wild cards. But, you know, for the most part, I just want an easy life. So anyways, the reviews start coming in and Twitter lights up. There were some horrible, vitriolic comments aimed at her, as is often the way in Twitter. And full cards on the table? I don't follow Annie Hardy's worldview at all. We are way out of sync. At times, I think she sounds positively insane to me. But there are times when she sounds completely level-headed to me as well. And there were a couple of moments in this very interview where I choked up. I mean, she is a human being, right? And she is an artist as well. So sure, we can critique her art. And yeah, it blurs the line when your big acting break has you cast playing an amplified version of yourself. But as I say, she is still a human being, right? And what I saw on social media at the time, as it escalated and escalated, it was beyond bullying. People can be fucking horrible. I would have just disappeared, deleted my online presence if I was being bullied to that degree. And yet, even now, her pinned tweet right at the top of Twitter since July 2020, it still reads, My compassion and empathy is not reserved only for good people. It is for all people. And I mean, fair play. So anyways, of course I backed off interviewing her. Not getting myself involved in that. Until that was, I discovered a new podcast to me by journalist James McMahon. It is called the James McMahon Music Podcast. And within the plethora of back catalogue episodes, one of the shows was a fantastic chat with Annie Hardy. Now, this was a more broad podcast. It covered her worldview, covered her music, it covered her mental health. It mentioned some real tragic stuff that had happened to her in her past. Uh, and in it was also this small mention of Dashcam and how she wasn't happy with the way she was treated about it. And I was just blown away by the whole conversation. It was so interesting. But that dash cam thing, that nagged at me. And just recently, my regular guest host and really good mate, Mark Canali, he gives this film a 1 out of 10 score. As I said, you love it or you hate it. Some movies will just do that to you. I hate that she had a bad time with it. And I wanted to know more. So I booked the chat. I finally relented, reached out to her and she was game. So I said, let's talk about the aftermath of this movie. People don't appear to have checked in with her, right? How did this horror film, a film with over a year since uh, the fallout from it, how does it resonate with her now? That's what I wanted to know. Now, if you loved it, if you hated it, if you've got this far in this little intro bit, listen to our chat. What is Annie really like? How close is she to that character that she portrays on the film? I didn't know, but I wanted to find out or I wanted to grab just a little inkling of it. I love horror. And she is a star in a film that means a lot to me. One of my favourites of the last five years or so. I was just disgusted back then by the way that she was treated by this small handful of critics and armchair knobheads that just were able to shout the loudest. But what's the story behind it all? This negative noise, it always outshines the positives, right? So I wanted to know what positives could you get from this? I mean, hopefully this chat is going to shed a little bit of light on the situation maybe it will even affect you in the same way as it affected me because I found it crushing I really did it really affected me also I understand that there are several controversial points made here regarding the creation of the film uh, and the team around her and after the chat I asked Annie just to consider if she actually wanted me to put this thing out there and she said that she'd thought about it and it was exactly what she wanted to say. So here it is. And please remember, Annie has gone on record at one point and said that this movie had ruined her life. So this chat, of course, is not an easy listen. So that being said, Annie Hardy and myself chatting, I think it was on either September the 1st or September the 2nd, 2023. Be cool to one another. Hi, I'm Annie Hardy and you're watching Van Car. Another day in paradise. Hello? Listen, I just need you to take my friend somewhere nearby. This is Angela, her and I, taking a trip. <laughs> Did you find me? Oh. Shit. 
Annie, welcome. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. How are you? Ah, uh, yeah. So looking forward to this all day. Uh, as soon as you like, like, yeah, let's do it. Fucking great. I'm so happy about it. Because this is a story, like, I know bits and pieces of, but, like, never put together as one whole piece before. So I think it's going to be, like, really interesting. Before we get there, because it's a horror podcast, I've got to ask you, have you got any history with this stuff? Like, were you ever into watching horror films as a kid or anything like that? I was, yeah. I remember uh, when I was young, my parents would, we would always go to the video store when those things existed still, like Blockbuster or privately owned video store. And and uh, I would, the only kind of movies I would watch would be horror films. I remember being like 10 or something and watching Sleepaway Camp. And I was just like, and, and Night of the Living Dead and Return of the Living Dead. And I was just very into all of it, you know? I didn't so much like regular movies, and I still don't. Now I don't watch any of it, but yeah, I used to really love horror films. And, um, and chill it. Where are you going? This bitch is losing her mind. Sorry. She's like trying to run into traffic, basically. There's chickens <laughs> all over the ground here. And they're just waiting, waiting to kill. What have you called your lizard? Now today I live a real life horror film, so it's like I don't really need to watch any of the movies now. Oh, with it. Well, before before we go on, what's your lizard's name again? Uh, Chillis. It's like Phyllis, but with a chill. Of course, she's not chill whatsoever. You know, she's she's insane. But I have another one inside named Simbasawe, and that's her boyfriend, and um, they're really in love. But I think she's like, she's hormonal right now. She's trying to lay some eggs soon, I suspect, again. And so she gets really aggro and wants to run around and dig a hole somewhere so she can go lay eggs. I don't know why I have all these animals here. But <laughs> no, I like... cool. There was a scene in dash cam at the beginning with the cats. Were they your cats? Yes, that's yeah. Christine and Trammelsea. Those were the only pets that I used to have back in the good old days when I was free and I could like leave home whenever I wanted. Now I've got like, let's see, perhaps you can see there's like yeah. <laughs> three trash chickens right there. That's red, that's Judy and that's Sheila. And then somewhere around here, the two older chickens, uh, Alabaster and Nickety are, and then an outdoor bunny and then think that's it thank god but that's a lot it's a lot it's overwhelming and it didn't use to just be me here taking care of all of them it's like pretty exhausting people think i'm a big animal lover but it's more like they love me you know and they love me because they can uh enslave me basically hey animals get away with all sorts of shit that we would never be able to uh, some animals are straight up evil, like my black cat Trammelsea. He trips me when he wants to be fed to make me fall down if I don't <laughs> stop what I'm doing and tend to him. And his never ending, he's just this, this vacuous hole of hunger and he's never full. And like, I, I fed him once seven times in one day. I'm like, what's going on here? I must have worms or something. That's a bit much. When we, um, we picked up a pug, and uh, we got a warning and they said, like, whatever you do, don't leave it around just food because they'll eat until they burst. They just eat until they die. They have no off. Imagine that. That's crazy. I mean, I know a couple people like that, unfortunately. <laughs> but, yeah, I didn't know the dogs will do them. That's insane. I saw a gopher in my backyard that once ate himself to death by eating my hay bale and then expanded in his stomach and he just went bleh. Oh, Jesus. Uh, okay. I think I think that's as good a start as any. Uh, yeah. <laughs> right, okay. Uh -oh, um, Sheila spotted you, Chillis. Relax. You're going to get killed on this podcast. So do you feel like people now will know you more for this film, Dashcam, rather than your band? Um, I don't know. It I guess it depends the region where, where we are. Because, like, in England, I'm pretty well known for my band i would say more than dash cam but perhaps in places in america it 
it would be Jack. Whoa, what are you doing? But in the in the long and short of it all, because of the the state of affairs, like in the world, it's like being famous doesn't exist anymore. Luckily, right. I think. And like um and like there's just so much content out there, whether it be music or or films, movies, whatever it is, there's too much of all of it because everyone can make everything themselves now, you know? And so yeah. things just get lost. It wasn't like a blockbuster affair. So it's like most people I would say haven't seen dash cam, which is fine with me. Less people to uh, send me hateful Twitter messages, honestly, but you know, <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get there. Like, yeah, I, when I first saw the name Annie Hardy on Dashcam, I was like, oh, man, I wonder what you're going to think about someone else using your name. Like, I had no <laughs> idea. That it was me. Yeah, no idea at all. How did you get this role? Was it all down to Jed? Was was he the uh, sort of catalyst yeah. of this? Yeah, Jed Shepard, who's one of the writers and kind of like the ideas guy for that that friend group that that's creative together. He was visiting and staying at my house and he would see how on my show, I, I really used to do band car on the internet for like years. And he's, he would see commenters who would be like, there's someone behind you, you know, like, like horror film style. And, and so he came up with the idea, like, I want to do a band car horror film. And I, you know, as most people, out in LA, like don't really do anything they ever say they're going to do. I didn't expect much, but then lockdown happened. And all of a sudden I got the call that, you know, host had just gotten robbed a three picture deal with Blumhouse. And he wanted to make the first of the, this dash cam. And at first they were going to use an actress to play me. And I was like, how are you going to do that? That's not going to work. But you should just have me do it because I've already, you know, I've been in a few films and I'm always just playing myself. But I, I've been doing a character study of her for a very long time. So I'm pretty good at it by now. What was it like um, uh, when you agreed to that? Like, were the flights all booked? Uh, was everything like all sorted for you? Because this was lockdown. Wasn't that just a ridiculously strange time to be doing this anyway? It, was. it totally was. And yeah, I don't know how how they managed it. I mean, I don't think it was like illegal, but they did get me, I have to imagine, a work visa. And and part of my um, deal was I wanted my drummer, Colin Deathrage, who plays in Giant Drag with me, to come too, because we would have to spend two weeks on like uh, quarantined. And luckily I met Dean Fragile, who's, who I was like, why don't you just be my manager? Cause I have like zero representation. And he was managing the Libertines hotel recording studio, bar, coffee shop and restaurant all in one shout out Carl. Um, <laughs> and he, he made it so that we could stay there and record a new giant drag album during our quarantine. So I said, pay for Colin's flight and they did and it was like a ghost town i mean you see it in in the film there was nobody in the airport like it was the best flight of my entire life we all got our own row and it was just like incredible i loved lockdown at first it was so cool that scene in the film is that actually you arriving yeah i mean ah. they they wrote out so obviously they weren't like getting millions of dollars to do this is a low budget horror film. And, and they had a shot list for me to complete and things that they wanted me to do, including things I really didn't want to do, like have a mask that says slave on it. And like, and like there's, yeah, I'm, I lost that on purpose quickly. Uh, Cause I was like, this is yeah. like, this is horrible. This is what a horrible person would do. Like, you know, like and then they wanted me to get the camera holder for the hat and da, da 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 and so I shot like most of the film. Not credited for that, but that's okay. Uh, and yeah, and uh, so it's cool, and it's all shot on my phone. 
like the entire film is all shot on iPhones. So tell me about the Albion rooms themselves. Like, so was that your base? Was that where you were going home at, at night? Yes. For most of it. Although we did some shooting in like Norfolk and Suffolk and, and uh, some other places, but like, and then some weekends I would go to London. Uh, but for the majority at the beginning and the end, I was just at the Albion rooms, which are so lovely. Like um, I have a music video that I shot in there for this song called No Good. And uh, it's just like so beautiful. Every hotel room is like designed by the a different member of the Libertines. And, and it was just cool because there's like a whole just like crew that's there. And whether you're like in the downstairs bar at night or like up in your like super fancy clawfoot bathtub like upstairs it's just like super nice the studio is super nice and all the staff are like super cool it was really cool margate is like really nice mostly you know well let me tell you something uh cafe g where you film that scene where you go in i lived yeah. above there uh, oh really I, yeah number one margate high street is where i live oh wow so i could not believe it when i saw it on screen that this like you were in my bloody house doing this this is un insane that's crazy yeah and it's it just like so happened to work out that way that i i don't think that they planned it it just so happened to work out that um i'm a, the guy who played stretch he lived in margate too and that i would be staying with you know, Dean at the Albion rooms and that they would be shooting at Dreamland, which was at that point an abandoned amusement park. Thanks so, to Cole. My, my first job was on those spinning wheels in Dreamland. And there oh, you are. That's so it's crazy. Insane. So that is yeah. insane. Life when is I, weird like that. <laughs> isn't it right? Okay, so we've established like you're in Margate. And mm -hmm. I wondered, like, because there, there is a, a, a lot of you in this film, but there is also a lot of stuff uh, that I, I felt like watching it was exaggerated like it would be in any film. You know, yeah. you're, there, there are lines, there are beats that you're hitting that come straight from the director, that come straight from the writer. Um, and this got misconstrued. I've no idea how I would even say it, but you were definitely demonized. I, I, I just to get to it now, like when did you first notice this happening? I first noticed it, I guess, at oh uh, no, after um, Rob and Doug, the producer, went and did the Canadian Film Festival TIFF. I noticed the hatred started to pour in because people would see the movie, they would go and check my Twitter. They would see that I, you know, uh, am opinionated and I'm not following the mainstream narrative. And they would fill in the blanks, not use their cognitive thinking minds. And they and most people in this world at this point are like clones, drone bots and PCs and idiots. And um, and so all of those people were sure to tell me what a horrible person I was and that I should be killed for a role that I was playing in a horror film. Sure. It's like, why didn't anyone tell Angela that she, she murdered people, but I guess as far she, I guess she was wearing a mask. So she got away with it. <laughs> it's perhaps it, that's it, the long and short of it. Did it ever get frightening? Were you ever like scared? I mean, no, because it's just like I've had that this is not like the beginning of hatred for the first time. I have had a life sure. that has prepared me for this role of like demonized uh, for for like basically nothing for not being a, a group think idiot. You know, what 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 disappointed me was that nobody from the film had my back. It's like what's going on here? Like, shouldn't you guys be standing up for me being like, Hey, it's just a fucking movie. Relax. No, well, not you, Rob, my living boyfriend living at my house with me. No. 
okay then. I see how it is. Everybody's scared they'll lose something that they've got. Very well then. And yeah. So it was very like an isolating feeling. And it was just like, it was sad because like making it was such a validating experience. I felt like my whole life efforts were finally paying off and like, and then just to have it sort of like my character arc was edited out and, and I was just made to look like this horrible narc version of myself which still isn't even that that bad not that deserved like you can see the difference between the first cut and what's out on hulu now and it's like it makes me look as bad as possible and it's like and all the bad parts are the parts where i was like it's not what i would do it's not me and i almost uh I think I almost backed out the night before we were to start filming and Rob had to coerce me into continuing on because I they didn't let me read an outline of because there's no script, right? It's right. all improvised. So I didn't even get to see an outline of a script until a couple of days before we were gonna start shooting. And I saw it and I was like, Oh God, I didn't realize all these people think I'm a fucking asshole. They must think I'm an American fucking asshole. And like, like this sucks. Like this person that I'm reading this sucks. I had seen like previous versions of a script that were totally different. And then I saw the one that we would be working off of. And I'm like, oh God, this is going to be a nightmare. And I tried to back out and Rob just like coerced me and it and he's like, no, everyone's going to love you. And I'm like, no, they're definitely not. Like, I don't love me if that's me. And didn't you? And have... I was already there, so I just did it anyway. But I, I swear at one point there was like an, uh, at the end of it, you had an arc where you like apologized or something on screen. Is that the case? Yeah, yeah. That was my character arc was like, I there we shot a scene where Stretch's girlfriend calls and I'm in the woods on my way to that final destination house the address that I was originally meant to take Angela to and I'm crying and I'm I just say I'm sorry but Rob thought that it was not meant to be in there and so edited it out and he had right. final edit so you know I was I I wish that it would have been an approach since it did just take my entire life and essence and like delve into it. Like Rob had me set up a live feed channel on Periscope, rest in peace to Periscope, which has since been, you know, taken off air. But he's like, just even the most mundane shit part of your day, like just, you know, I want you to film it and broadcast live to the channel. And I was like, okay, this is cool. Like, it's cool to have somebody take an active interest in you and see, like, uh, want try to see the world through your eyes, you know? And, like, stuff that I said uh, during some of those live screens did get used in the film. Like, uh, I was, I think I was walking over a bouquet of flowers across the street, and I said, like, people don't know this about me, but I'm actually a really good person, <laughs> you know? And it made it in the film, so it's like, okay. Uh, so I favorite. thought I was going to be like represented as myself, but then for, I guess, movie purposes, that wasn't the case. Tell me there about the no... naked man on a bike. Uh, is that naked man <laughs> on a bike a real guy? That was real. No! That, was that was real, but the people at Blumhouse, the legal department, told us that we couldn't use the original footage. I, I can send you the unlisted link i have it's a 20 minute long video me and my friend austin early in lockdown were like we were so fucking bored and we were just driving around at like two or three in the morning and just as we'd given up on finding any excitement a completely naked man on a bicycle rode past us and we were like here we go let's do this and so we went forth trying to like save the day there because he was just like stand you don't see this in the film but he was parking the bike and jerking off at us and um and so we were trying to save the town from this evil maniacal demon possessed jerk off bike monster 
but you know we had to actually have a a friend my friend Andy had to reenact the bike thing he was riding around in his underwear they had to pay money to do vfx to make it look like he was naked and it's just like wow hollywood does not mind to just like hemorrhage money do they yeah wow as long as it's not for me they they don't care where it goes <laughs> that uh the line where's your mask that you throw out at him um did that come from you or was that a rob line you know that was rob um that so some of the stuff like the closing credits and that part the opening and the bike guy uh rob had to come out here to la to film all the stuff inside my house and everything that was all me and all at the airport but then oh hell no these fucking gardeners are here we're going inside um but yeah then rob had to come out here and um film which was yeah rob's kind of a slave driver when it, it comes to getting the perfect take and make you do it like 11 times and then end up using the first or second one that i did because that's always the best one anyway um but yeah that was rob's uh line you should go see if she's alive hello hello Did you hear like amongst all that like nasty vitriolic noise did you hear some of that real positive stuff coming coming especially from women that were like could see that this was an exaggerated performance and they loved what you were doing on screen and that and and loved sort of loads of different stuff about it did you get any of that or was that negativity just too loud the negativity was definitely a lot louder and nothing kind of hits as hard as like somebody telling you that they wish that you would die and like people who go out of their way like to send you an instagram dm just to tell you that you ruined the entire film of dash cam it's like bitch i am the entire film of dash cam it literally isn't a film without me like it's there's nothing that's like outside of me you know so eat shit but it's just like you know i i don't know i don't know i don't know what what i expected but i remember at london film festival i was i made the mistake of watching trying to watch the film in the theater with all the people and like i'm highly sensitive to like subtle energies i can you know i don't watch tv i don't watch movies i don't listen to music i'm like i'm I'm, I have all my like childhood senses so I can like feel shifts in energy in the room. And when I stole Stretch's car in the film, I felt every British person in there just go like, oh, she's bad. You know, she's evil. And then they never came back for the rest of the film. And like, and then we did the Q&A afterwards and I saw and felt a bunch of horribleness during that wow! and then everybody was meant to go to the after party in this loud techno blasting bar where everybody would uh, contract and give COVID to each other. And I walked in and I heard boom, boom, boom. And I was like, Oh, too autistic for this. And so I, uh, that just broke me like that was the final straw and I spent the next like three hours just like walking the streets in London scream weeping because I knew what was coming I I saw the score I saw reality for the first time and I was like these people aren't for me they just used me and like and they don't care which was even trickier because my boyfriend was the director and like on the way back to our hotel that night, uh, Rob m- 
made the the classic death statement like anytime somebody says i'm not here to or i'm not trying to like i always pay attention because whatever comes out next is exactly what they're going to do or trying to do and he said i'm not someone who's flying in to make a mockery of you and then fucking off and i'm like most certainly didn't accuse you of that and wasn't thinking that you were so i guess that's your mission statement and that's exactly what had happened so yeah i just like i guess the the film filming was great it was when the rest of the world got involved by watching it that everything started to go really sour and yeah i don't know how um a relationship would survive something like that when there's a uh, somewhat a lack of integrity and um, loyalty and whatever. Like, I understand if that's not my boyfriend that I live with, that not coming to my defense, but like, you know, it would, it was the source of a lot of um, just like pain for me and, 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 and like invalidation. And, you know, some, sometimes people feel bad and they can't look at something you know that they're doing and they just like blame shifted onto you like well it's your fault because you made anti-vax tweets it's like it's not my fault that the world has turned into a bunch of evil lunatics that are so hateful that they're calling me the bad person and telling me that i should be killed which is ironically the words of every bad person ever (laughs) it's like you think i should be killed because i believe something different than you maybe you're the bad person actually did how how about like positivity can you take anything is jed have you spoken to jed about this and like how you feel about it since yeah i mean it's just like however i feel doesn't matter obviously and and that's the long and short of it you know and it's like and it doesn't however anybody feels in the world about anything doesn't matter although most people go around like pretending that it does like you know, I mean, I, I've said this before, but I think I'm the only person who can like star in a in a feature length film, do a good job and and have it be like have a less successful career because of it. And it's not anybody's fault. It's like the state of the world, you know, didn't expect things to get like this, I guess. And and I guess I wouldn't I wouldn't do it differently if given the chance. But yeah, it's just like, it's just like most things in my life. Something seems like it's going to be great. And then it's fucking usually horrible. Something seems like it'll be horrible. Sometimes it ends up being great. Well, I, I've got a, a, a feeling about it. And, and and I pick up these things, not maybe not in the same way you do, but I'm looking at like the, the history of cinema and thing of that ilk. And within a decade, opinions change things do change and Uh i can't see how people won't look back on this with a completely different opinion and also how you were treated and how wrong they were in treating you that way Um, and i know it's difficult to see anything like that at this point because it's so raw and it's still new but it fascinates me culture and history and the way things change especially with the arts and yeah I, i mean I remember hearing about Giant Drag, first of all, uh, and until I thought, saw you in, like, I think it was 2006. Um, oh, wow. I was I was scared of your band. I was <laughs> like, oh, God, what are they going to be like? You know, mm-hmm. and it, it took me to actually see you before I actually go, oh, that's what they're like. You know, yeah. you've got to check yourself. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, it's upsetting to, to hear such a negative experience when you did so much. Like you say, that film is fuck all without you yeah I mean it literally was only thought of because of me and so I mean I don't care I don't I I don't harbor too much resentment about it or whatever it's just like people are like this people are not really that smart people are insecure and afraid of losing whatever they've gained in this world and and for the majority people in this world don't stand for anything and they don't care. Like I remember a couple times I w- I was trying, cause like Rob, basically he took all of my, like just one aspect, like my uh, brash American 
like annoyingness without the whole message and purpose that was behind Vanguard to begin with, which was that we're here, we're meant to be living our creative purpose in this life and and all people are are one and and everything like my tagline at the end of every episode was like what was it remember go out spread love and not your butt cheeks you know and and like saying like you know constantly saying like love is the only truth of the universe like everyone is one and now i'm like god i don't really want to be one with all these stupid ass motherfuckers you know out here being pieces of shit but like i guess i am and i guess they must be some representation of some deep you know part of my psyche that just hates myself perhaps i don't oh, know it, it's sad to hear that man because like you have been uh, an inspiration to so many and and you you must know that like uh, I, I understand yeah. how noisy the negativity can be, but yeah, for sure. I, I hope that sometimes like that positivity does sort of hit you every now and it again. Does. And, and, and lucky for me or unlucky, or I'm hoping at some point lucky for me, like, you know, I, I at some point became a begrudging Christian and a follower of, of Jesus, which is like, you know, which is not what I ever wanted for my life per se, but sure. like it was revealed to me through like life in the 3D, like, wow, this shit's real. And you, there is like a dark side. There is a side of light. There's demons, there's angels, there's God, there's the devil. Like I have to pick a side. And so that's when I began gang banging for Jesus, so to speak. And so it says in the Bible, like, they will hate you as they hated me without cause. Just know on the days where people are hating on you on Twitter that you're, that I'm with you, you know, like, like, so I don't think that all that shit would even happen if it weren't for, for right. that aspect of my life. And so I take it as like confirmation that, you know what, I must be right with Jesus. Cause if I wasn't, I would be really successful making all the money, you know, I would be at the major film parties molesting all the kids with everybody else and and because i i gangbang for jesus i'm just like at home on food stamps and uh government assistance and that's fine with me yeah. i don't know if in 10 years it's gonna shift around because i don't know if any of us are gonna still be here in 10 years i feel like we're like in the last seven years of tribulation before some shit really gets haywire out there but i hope well, you're right yeah well me too if, if that <laughs> is the case and and the shit does go down what do you think as a final question what do you think your artistic legacy will be do you think it'll be that film or do you think it'll be your music I think it'll be the music because the film's like whatever you know the film lasts for like 70 minutes but uh, to the best of my knowledge, people don't get too much like lines from a film like stuck in their heart. You know, maybe you think of it, you can say it, you know, as a retort or something. But it's like music is is really speaks the language of the heart. And like it, it has the ability, ability to heal. It heals me as I write a song. It's transmuting what is usually some really negative like way that I feel into something that is a tool for healing and positivity in the life of someone else. And I hope that that's what I'm, you know, transmitting out there. And it's just like, when you write a song that makes someone else not feel so alone in this horrible toilet world, like, I feel like that's really worth something. And that's really, you know, my main purpose on this planet is to like, speak my truth be it through song be it through my podcast like or just like to you right now like we're all made in the image of god who is the creator and god is truth and god is love so we must be here to create and tell the truth and love one another and and just help one another because that's that's what god's all about um, I'm going to end it now, but uh, before we go, I want to play out with one of your songs and I want you to choose it. So what song would you uh, choose for our listeners to hear? Ooh, let's see. 
Well, I do believe that Giant Drag put out a new EP and one of my favorite songs that we play is called Fucking With My Head, which is on the Devil Inside at the Albion Rooms EP available internet wide. Thank you so much. That was so cool. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. there we go many thanks again to annie for coming on to the show i did make a couple of edits in that conversation where our connection dropped out and i do really appreciate her coming on and talking about that experience uh, making dash cam with me it was probably one of the most difficult conversations i've ever had but also one of the most rewarding um yeah i don't know what else to say about it really uh, also get this she recently put out a solo single it's called better off alone and well if you've listened to that chat just now with me and her and then you listen to the words in that song i think you don't need to know like advanced trigonometry or anything like that to add up all the little pieces together it's heavy it is really heavy stuff so to lighten things up a little bit now, just going to let you know that next week I'm going to be chatting with the band Interpol. We're going to be talking about Jacob's Ladder and that will be that. So until then, space cadets. Uh, yeah, that was uh, myself. That was Annie Hardy uh, all talking about dash cams. <laughs> 